Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 47. Uh, This week, we have a guest, Chris Hallam, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for IoT. But before we get to Chris, let's take a lap around the news. Uh, Gladys, why don't you kick things off? So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, the native certificate-based authentication that went public preview for Active Directory, um, and this is Azure Active Directory. I'm super excited about it um, since now customers do not need to use ADFS in order to authenticate to Azure AD. They can just use their X509 uh, certificates to authenticate. It also enables customers to adopt uh, phishing-resistant authentication. So now um, they can use their certificate in conjunction with the, say, Authenticator app or some other application, and they can use have that phishing-resistant capabilities. There, there's done more work uh, that Microsoft is doing uh, with this Authenticator app uh, to enable more enhanced uh, capabilities or security. Uh, so stay tuned to hear more about this. If you want to enable uh, the certificate-based uh, capability, just go to Azure AD Security, I think it's Authentication Method and Policy, and you should be able to see the certificate-based authentication and enable it in there. There's few configuration uh, that you will have to do, including defining uh, the authentication and the username binding, but it's pretty easy. Uh, you could also do targeting uh, uh, per user base or groups. X.509 certificates, you know, authentication is, uh, is a real kind of old school. I mean, it's good stuff, but it's good to see it coming back. I was actually the, um, I looked, uh, looked after all the certificate integration with IIS back in the day. So this is really great to see because, again, even though I did say it was kind of old school, certificate-based authentication with, uh, with things like smart cards, with you know, keys and hardware is actually a, a very strong authentication mechanism. Definitely. I, I think it's more that a customer really wanted <laughs> this in order to uh, get rid of the infrastructure. But um, there, I, I think there's uh, work being done um, that is going to come up in the future that eventually it will remove the need of these uh, certificates or enhance it. The second thing that I wanted to talk about is a live cast, uh, a webcast uh, that the Microsoft Sentinel and Risk IQ teams uh, had. It was part of the Microsoft security community. Uh, for for some of you that may know where uh, there's live webcasts uh, being presented uh, all the time, and this uh, particular one is it was called Automate Your. Microsoft's Sentinel triage effort with RISC-IQ threat intelligence. Uh, I haven't included uh, a link to the recording in our Azure Security Podcast site, as well as the Sentinel docs. And during this uh, podcast, they talk about the different type of cyber threat intelligence. They they talk about how uh, uh, different uh, threat intelligence can be used uh, throughout Microsoft uh, Sentinel in, in investigation, notebook, workbooks, uh, playbooks, etc. Um, and then the part that I was uh, really excited about is uh, that we're talking how to 
ingest further threat intelligence into uh, Sentinel. This is very important because people need to understand that uh, there's different type of uh, threat intelligence that Microsoft uses. Actually, uh, Microsoft builds or has its own threat intelligence and the learnings are captured from all the Microsoft services. Uh, Mark has a different presentation. He talks about how we build this threat intelligence from over 24 terabyte of threat signals that we collect over all the 300 uh, global consumer services, uh, uh, 980 billion emails. And and the thing about this is that this threat intelligence is used in order to enhance or enlighten uh, the incidents and the information provided uh, throughout our security services. But a Sentinel in this case also enable another connector that allows taxi uh, injection. We recently released. Um, you may have already. Uh, you may have already seen it, but um, we now have a, what was called the Sentinel Deception Solution. It is very cool. Uh, basically, it allows you to add honey tokens into Key Vault, so they are fake. Uh, secrets in the key vault and of course if somebody like clicked on them and tried to reveal the secret it will give you an alert in sentinel so it's a way of uh, finding out if there's anyone poking around in your environment we'll have links in the show notes we do have a whole video on how that deception solution works so uh go and check it out if it sounds of interest i always love stuff like honey tokens Uh, definitely for all the things we've had in sentinel it's pretty different and new go and check that one out on the 24th of February, we're doing our What's Next in Security for Microsoft Digital event. Um, this is uh, We're doing this instead of RSA uh, because you may know that RSA has been postponed to later in the year. So uh, definitely go check that out because there'll be some uh, cool things being talked about and announced uh, seeing as RSA has been postponed. Another Sentinel thing is, and this one I'm very excited about because we've been waiting for it for a long time, is the Codeless Connector for Sentinel. So what that means is uh, the Codeless Connector platform or CCP, it allows you to create your own um, API-based connectors. So if Microsoft hasn't made it for you yet and a a third-party provider hasn't made it, um, you can actually make your own and it will appear as an inbuilt connector in Sentinel, which is pretty cool and something that quite a lot of people have been waiting for. So I'm very excited that we finally have that. Uh, Then on Defender for Cloud side of things, uh, it's worth uh, calling out um, now that uh, the Kubernetes workload protection is now uh, is now available for Arc-enabled uh, Kubernetes clusters. Um, it used to just be for AKS, the Azure version of Kubernetes, but now that we will actually do it on anything that's Arc-enabled. So that gives a lot more flexibility to where you can implement this. Also, uh, there's more new recommendations and preview about enabling Microsoft Defender plans on workspaces, uh, just again, to help you with your hygiene. I think I will leave it there. A couple things that have been top of mind for me. Uh, One of them is kind of a, a little bit of a key off of the Defender for Cloud stuff. One of the things that we've seen at organizations is that as all this cool goodness comes in uh, from like Defender for Cloud and other kind of cloud security posture management tools, um, organizations tend to get challenged with, okay, who actually uses this? So this is an awesome tool. It's great. I get great visibility into my posture, but who's actually, you know, doing the glass watching? Who's 
going to fix these things? Who's going to help the people fix it? You know, the asset owners that aren't familiar with security. Um, and so we're, we're finding that a lot of organizations are kind of um, figuring out how to create a posture management team um, or function or discipline within uh, within their organization. And so that's uh, that's an area that we're working on, uh, spending a lot of time defining it and figuring out exactly what that means. And uh, there's a link in the show notes that um, is kind of our, our first pass on that. But uh, we're continuing to define it in a lot more detail. And what do they do? Who do they work with? You know, what are the outcomes? Those kind of things. Um, so that's that's one of the areas that um, spend a lot of focus time on. And then um, I throw a few of these out on Twitter um, as well. Um, that we'll throw the link in the show notes, but uh, we're, we're working on a kind of maturity model. It's hard to call it a normal maturity model because we're we're taking a slightly different tack. We're not just saying, "Hey, what does dynamic or optimized or you know some other warm fuzzy word mean at the top of the list?" But you know, what is the actual journey for each of the different aspects of the CAF the cloud adoption framework? Essentially, the you know as a security program matures, what what are the ways that people go from sort of a, a compliance focus to you had your first incident, OMG? And then, um, you know, you end up spending so much time on the sock and then you realize, hey, we would have a lot less incidents to respond to if we actually patched and kind of, you know, getting into that posture management again. But like, and then, you know, kind of coming to a much more balanced approach and balancing investments across the team and focus areas and, and whatnot. And so it's, um, we're really trying to capture those journeys as we see them happen at customers and kind of giving some maturity model scales. So um, nothing uh, other than those uh, two preview ones that we, that I threw out on Twitter, kind of on a, on a, on a whim, but um, we are working on that. We'll get it out to y'all as uh, soon as we can. That's all I got. I got a few uh, news items. Uh, the first one is um, we actually now have a new hardware security module, another member of the Azure Key Vault family, and that is the Microsoft Azure Payment HSM service. This is there primarily for PCI compliance, pretty specialized. You know, I can't imagine this being a replacement for Key Vault by any stretch of anyone's imagination. It is literally a bare metal service um, using Talos Pay Shield payments HSMs. Uh, again, very specialized. This is not going to be a you know a general purpose uh, sort of replacement for for Key Vault by any stretch. Uh, for those people that need it um, and don't want to have one on prem and they want to have, want to have one sort of managed by Microsoft, then um, this is certainly an option that you can have um, inside of your Azure subscription. We also have some new training available for various exams like AZ900, which is the Microsoft Azure Fundamentals, um, also AZ104, which is the Microsoft Azure Administrator, AZ204, which is one of certainly of uh, big interest to me, is developing solutions for Microsoft Azure. And the last one is AZ400, which is designing and implementing Microsoft DevOps solutions. So there's a whole bunch of sample exams and tests that you can take. And again, we'll have the uh, the links to that in the show notes. We also have a new feature. It actually came out last year. I don't know why we missed this, but it's Azure Virtual Network Manager. Uh, essentially allows you to manage uh, virtual networks uh, sort of essentially from one pane of glass. Uh, makes life uh, significantly simpler when it comes to managing these things. One other note is I wrote a blog post last week about how to configure TLS 1.2 and 1.3 in Windows VMs. I mean, in Windows in general, but you know, Windows VMs specifically, uh, there's a bunch of customers um, who want to use TLS 1.3 and 1.2. They know they can't use TLS 1.0 and 1.1 you know, for compliance reasons. Um, but sometimes they want to use TLS 1.2 and 1.3. Well, the problem with TLS 1.2 is some of the Cypher suites are actually pretty lousy. So how do you configure that? How do you make sure that Windows is using the correct set of Cypher suites? 
So uh, I wrote a blog post on that, which shows you how to use uh, the PowerShell commandlets to actually configure uh, the Cypher suites and also how to validate that the Cypher suites are correct um, by using uh, basically using OpenSSL as a client. Um, so you can actually touch the server and, and see which, which Cypher suites the server responds with. So that's all the news I have this week. So why don't we turn our attention to our guest. Uh, this week we have Chris Hallam, uh, who's here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for IoT. I know that Mark will probably have quite a few um, quite a few opinions as we go through this as well. Uh, so, uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, would you mind just spending a moment and introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really excited to be on the show. In fact, uh, I didn't realize what a fun crew we uh, we had here until we were in the green room together, kind of getting prepped. And uh, my old friend, Mark Simos, uh, I didn't realize you were going to be on the, on the podcast as well. So Mark and I have worked for years. And so anyways, this is going to be a lot more fun than I realized. But anyway, to answer your question, um, you know, again, the name's Chris Hallam, and uh, I've been at Microsoft for a really long time, working with Mark and many others. I've been here for over 20 years. I started my career on, on server management. I did that for about a decade, and then, um, then I switched over to security before it became kind of a big thing. I was one of the early people on Windows security as we transitioned from Windows 7 to, to 8, which is where we really transformed the platform and made security probably one of the most important parts of the product. And uh, so anyway, so I was kind of at the tip of the spear uh, at the beginning where there was really only a handful of people. And of course, now it's transitioned to thousands. I mean, I can't believe how many people are working on security. I think we have 3,500 people working on it now. And it was just, you know, a sliver of that back in the 10 years ago. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, now I live in the, the product marketing area and uh, I'm focusing, I've been focusing on endpoint security for the whole time. But more recently, I've moved over to a new endpoint, which is uh, IoT and OT devices. And so it gives you kind of a quick tour of uh, my background here at Microsoft. So one thing we've mentioned a few times on the podcast uh, is IoT and OT. Uh, would you mind spending a moment sort of explaining the difference between the two? Yeah, absolutely. Um, operational technology or OT, uh, sometimes also referred to as ICS, industrial control systems, um, are small devices, sometimes larger, uh, designed to drive uh basically industrial things. Um, so for instance, if you have a manufacturing plant, let's say it's an automobile plant like uh, Tesla as an example, that's operational technology that's definitely driving the assembly line. And that same type of technology is, is in other industries. Uh, pharmaceuticals, we're talking about the production of, of vaccines like COVID-19, OT technology, ICS technology is used in that scenario. Um, it's also used in, in scenarios that people aren't as familiar with. Uh, this technology is also inside the buildings that, that we work in. So elevators, uh, any sort of building uh, automation uh, may also be uh, driven by OT technologies and ICS technologies. If we were to contrast that versus IoT technology, um, which is in some respects kind of similar, but generally not for industrial purposes, uh, IoT devices consist of a, a, an incredibly broad range of things. We all know what traditional endpoints are, like workstations, servers, mobile devices, but pretty much everything else that's not in the OT ICS world and is not a traditional endpoint is probably in that IoT space. So um, internet-connected printers, uh, cameras in buildings, um, maybe the locks uh, on doors, um, uh, voice over IP devices. There's just a, a smart TVs. I mean, we could talk on and on and on, but that gives you kind of, I think, a, a, gener a general idea of what the, the IoT type of devices are. 
Can you talk a little bit about uh, Defender for IoT, what challenges uh, it addresses, um, uh, how it uses uh, the rest of our technology to interconnect to provide a wider set of uh, signals or information? Definitely. Um, so Microsoft Defender for IoT today is a product that is focused on the OT technology, the ICS technology, you know, for these industrial scenarios and maybe building management. Uh, that's its current focus. But later this year, we're going to expand its footprint to also cover the IoT devices we talked about a minute ago. So uh, all the enterprise IoT devices, smart TVs, voice over IP, et cetera. So it's going to be much broader. But um, what will it do across these, uh, these different types of device types? There's a couple things that Defender for IoT handles. The first thing it does is it's going to discover all of the devices on, on your network uh, and it's going to classify them. So that's the first thing is, is the ability to get an asset inventory for all those devices that are connected to IP networks, Bluetooth, et cetera, and so forth. So that's kind of the first category. The next capability it has is once you have an understanding of what your inventory is, of course, we want to know uh, its security posture. And so we apply vulnerability management to, to those devices and we come up with an assessment uh, on whether those devices are patched, uh, whether they're well configured in the most you know, secure possible state. We can give you insights there, uh, et cetera. And then, of course, we do detection and response. So uh, very much like an EDR product or an endpoint detection response system for traditional endpoints by like workstation servers, et cetera, we do the same type of thing uh, for IoT and OT devices. So uh, we'll look at threat signal coming in uh, to the system, uh, apply uh, ML and AI, and, um, and determine whether these devices are, are you know, safe and secure or, or maybe whether they're under attack and then, of course, then we provide incident response capabilities. So with all that rich data that we're collecting about what's happening to these devices, we have you know, effectively huge logs in investigation data uh, that can help us perform automation. that will allow us to maybe take a device that's been compromised and maybe bring it back to a pre-breach state. Uh, and we can also arm the incident response analysts with the data they need uh, to uh, correct the issue. And so uh, uh, that kind of gives you, I think, a high-level overview of what the product does. So one of the things that um, I thought was fascinating because I spent um, uh, you know a couple months working really deeply with uh, Defender for IoT was there's there's obviously like a lot of key security scenarios you know the SOC you know analysts getting some visibility into what attacks are happening and you're kind of assisting with the investigation and you know kind of getting to ground truth and helping plan the remediations etc. Um, you know, look left, look right, the whole uh, investigative process. Uh, but the thing that was sort of interesting and surprised me a little bit was um, was the the asset discovery, and uh, it was actually quite valuable. And it wasn't just a security, because obviously security, you know, number one rule: if you don't know what you have, you don't know what to protect and and what your risk is, etc. But there was also a lot of value in it that um, organizations found for digital transformation projects. Like, hey, we're getting ready to do a smart factory or a, a smart this or a smart that, you know, that involved the OT uh, aspects and, you know, whether it's predictive maintenance or, or some other thing or, you know, adjusting in real time, et cetera, all the kind of digital transformation uh, uh, goodness that happens. Um, but uh, we saw folks using Defender for IoT for actually discovering um, what their stuff was to kind of aid the planning of that project and you know figure out how many machines they actually had and what type and you know what kind of data that they could get and then uh, you know kind of plan some uh, business value projects from there so I thought that that second aspect it was kind of fascinating it you know security tools actually enabling the business was kind of cool absolutely in fact you bring up a great point the 
We've talked to you know endless customers about what their needs are for Microsoft Defender for IoT, and the first thing that comes out of everybody's mouth is, I don't have visibility to what I've got in my environment. I literally have no clue. Some organizations quite literally have no clue. They, they, they don't even have a, a list. Uh, some organizations have a spreadsheet that somebody updates from time to time. And then there's some organizations that have something you know much better. They, they've got a, a product like ours or maybe a, uh, another vendor's that, that maybe can automate the process of of generating that that list and uh, and that that's obviously crucial um, and it, it's really funny that a lot of our customers tell us that that's kind of the, their next concern for this year right they they love the idea of detection response but so many of them don't even have visibility to their their OT environments that just getting visibility is kind of like their only concern and um, of course our product does far more than that and they'll be delighted that functionality when they deploy it but uh, it, it, you're so right Mark that. The first step, if you want to digitally transform, how could you do that if you don't even know what you already have? Uh, and so uh, it is our, our number one feature that our customers are asking about. And uh, we recently worked with Ponymon and we had them do some research. And it also turned up statistically that the number one feature by a vast majority of customers is just getting that first step, which is visibility to what they have in their environments. There's there's pl- plenty of Twitter rants on that as well from uh, some seasoned uh, gray-haired folks in, in the security world. Um, now, I, I, I was also taking a look at the executive order on uh, on um, you know cybersecurity for critical infrastructure or criti- uh, for critical ICS systems. So I, I'm uh, curious, you know, uh, your take on that and and, and your comments on it. Yeah, the, the executive order is is something that's really great. Uh, for our industry, because as I kind of mentioned a moment ago, a lot of our customers aren't doing anything yet. Like 50% of the customers we talk to do not have a solution like Microsoft Defender for IoT or third-party equivalent to, to get the visibility and the detection response. So they're literally segmenting their networks away and kind of hoping that through network segmentation and maybe air gapping, which oftentimes is really not happening, that, that these devices are, are tucked away and are going to be secure. And of course, we're finding out that, that that's not true, uh, as we've seen in the news. So the executive order, I think, is a little bit of a shot across the bow to get some of these late adopters um, to, to kind of wake up and say, look, you know, this seg- network segmentation is not going to work. We, we, you know, our environments are not disconnected like they, they are. We've got an OT, IT convergence program that's bringing these networks closer together. So anyway, I think the executive order is great. And uh I just want to actually drill into a little bit more. Um, something that I really liked about it is, if, you, if I'll just read from it, it says, the primary objective of this initiative is to defend United States critical infrastructure by encouraging and facilitating the deployment of technologies and systems that provide threat visibility, indications, detections, and warnings, and that facilitate response capabilities for cybersecurity in essential control systems and operational technology networks. That is exactly what Microsoft Defender does. We cover all of those bases, which is wonderful. So, uh, so customers who, who see this uh, own critical infrastructure uh, and are looking for a solution, this is something that we've got a solution that covers all of these bases the exec order uh, covers. Another thing that it mentioned that is interesting is the federal government will work with industry to share threat information for priority control, uh, and it kind of goes on and on. But the, the net net of that is what, we're going to get is we're actually going to get a private public se- sector collaboration that's going to probably enable us to innovate more. Uh, the government's basically saying here in the exec order uh, that they're going to share threat information to us. And, and as, as Gladys mentioned earlier, we've, we've got trillions of threat signals we're looking at a day. 
and it's wonderful. And, and we arguably have more threat data than, than anyone in the world, at least in the domains we're talking about here. Um, but with this additional information that we can get from government, uh, this is going to make it uh, so all the vendors in our space uh, can further innovate and protect our customers better than we have uh, without that type of relationship. And so that's a wonderful news as well. Uh, the last thing that, that's great is the Homeland uh, Security is going to coordinate with other agencies and they're going to come up with um, performance goals for critical infrastructure. So they're going to create a plan. Uh, and they're going to give that to everybody uh, who, who's in that type of situation, critical infrastructure, that is. Uh, and that will become uh, some KPIs that they can manage towards. Uh, and one thing that's not so great about the exec order is it says that these organizations should follow. And so that's where I think the exec order maybe could have been stronger. I would have liked to have seen stronger language that it really pushed people more in the direction of must doing rather than should doing. So, uh, but at any rate, this is great news from, uh, from the federal government here in the U S uh, to advance our interests, uh, as well as our customers, which of course is why we're the whole point of all this. So one of the things, um, I'd like to get your take on, on the, the colonial pipeline and the ransomware, uh, aspect of it, um, or extortion attacks. Cause that's, that's one of my pet peeves, but I'll, I'll try not to rant <laughs> during the question here. Um, I'd, li- I'd love to get your take on kind of, of how you view that and how you think about that. Yeah. Ransomware has been a thing that we've been talking about forever, right? We've, we've talked about it in, in the context of our personal data, uh, or maybe business data. So we've thought of it. I think for a really long time in the context of, of IT problem, right? Um, and of course, uh, when uh, these, what was it, uh, WannaCry came out and Not Petya came out, right? Like th- those were terrible ransomware scenarios that really were primarily a- addressing the or attacking IT things. Now, there was some OT related impact, right? Because when, like, for instance, Maersk. Uh, that really uh, hobbled their ability to do shipping because their IT network was basically shut down. And so that kind of prevented a lot of the, the shipping uh, that they'd like to have done <laughs> to, to get stopped. Um, but at any rate, what we saw with Colonial Pipeline, I think, uh, is just another example. I mentioned shot across the bow. Well, th- there's a really big one. Um, you know, there, now organizations are using ransomware to stop you know, critical infrastructure uh, and it's costing the organization, you know, millions of dollars a day, uh, or over the course of weeks, potentially. So it's very, very expensive. Uh, and it's so critical for the function of, of our nation and, and others who like it, who are experienced this type of attack. Um, and so the, you know, I remember years ago, the FBI was saying, oh, don't ever pay the ransom. Um, that's a really hard thing to not do when a pipeline is shut down uh, because of ransomware. Uh, and so I don't know all the specifics of, of what they, they did there. I, I understand the ransom was paid and then it was later seized by, by the government, but I, I'm not going to assume that that's going to play out that way every single time. So um, at any rate, I think what you see is the threat actors out there are now seeing that critical infrastructure um, creates and attacking it creates a very dire situation uh, where the likelihood of a very handsome profit uh, our payout is going to happen. And so I expect that we're going to see a lot more of this. And of course, that's why the executive order came out. I think, I don't remember how long it was. I think it might've been a week later that exec order came out after the, the, the colonial pipeline and Mark, correct me if I'm wrong there, but, uh, they were in close proximity for sure. Yep, uh, so close. we're going to see a lot more of this. The extortion is going to get greater, uh, and the disruption to, uh, people in an entire re- region, uh, potentially is going to get greater as well. So we're going to see a lot more of this to come. 
the the two rants that I have um, in this space are, you know, as much as ransom is a huge part of it, fundamentally these are extortion attacks, and and we've seen all sorts of other ways of making money other than hey, pay me for the data. That we see them resell the data. We see them, you know, do other kinds of extortion as well even extorting the the uh, the customers of some organizations. So I always try to make sure that we're broadening it whenever whenever I hear ransomware, I want to make sure people think ransomware and, you know, just extortion in general threaten bad things. And then the other thing and it kind of ties into the the, the payment thing and, you know, absolutely you you definitely uh, don't want to pay um the ransom. Um I mean that's like your last ditch sort of like the 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 choice of last resort um effectively. And like the one thing that I worry a little bit about is I've seen, you know, especially sort of business folks that aren't familiar with security and sort of the ongoing risk and the, the nature of these kind of things is we've, we've started to see some, you know, business leaders, you know, essentially planning to pay the ransom. Like, I'm not going to invest in security. I'll just pay the ransom, move on. And it's like, no, this isn't quite like paying a kidnapping and, you know, fee if, uh, you know, some, you know, a ship that gets captured off the coast of Africa or something like that. There's actually a lot of damage to your organization and your, your operations can be completely stopped for a period of days, if not weeks or months. And so, you know, the big thing that, that, that we want to make sure that people get the message of is you never plan to pay the ransom. Yes, you may have to and you may prepare in case you need to. Um, you know, as an organization and check out the legalities in your jurisdiction where you, where you operate, et cetera. But we don't want people to ever think they should plan to pay the ransom because you're going to need, you know, you get hit by one of these things. You're going to need to do all that security stuff you wanted to that the security people were asking for. And you're going to be doing it in a crisis and you're going to be recovering with the tools that the attackers provided for you. And, you know, make sure your your lawyers and your PR people say that's a good idea. Um, you know, I mean, so just to you know, finish up my rant here, never plan to pay the ransom. You may have to, but, you know, plan to avoid the situation in the first place and be ready to recover. Yeah, absolutely. And I think deploying technology like Microsoft Defender for Endpoint and others like it is, is obviously, this is mission critical preparation that will potentially prevent you from ever getting in case where you have to. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, about 50% of the organizations we talk to in the OT space haven't deployed anything like that. And so um, it is mission critical yep. that they prioritize this year to get something in their environment. We hope, of course, it's our solution, um, but um, they're going to be attacked. Uh, these these ransoms are are very profitable for the organizations, and uh, the plan should be to deliver new technologies to prevent this ever from happening in the first place. Yep, be ready to recover. Make sure you can limit the scope of it if they do get in, kind of an assumed breach, and you know, and then add the prevention stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's part of our our ransomware roadmap. Kind of switching subjects for a bit here. Got anything new on the horizon? Any uh, new capabilities? Because I know, like, we have the Defender for IoT that you know covers the OT environments, you know, and kind of gathers the network signals there. And we've got the Defender for Endpoint. Sort of, hey, anytime you have an MDE agent out there, you can you know gather all the network signals on the local subnet that that agent can pick up on. Um, is there anything else on the horizon? Yeah, we, this this release coming up in June is is so huge. Um, you know, we could talk for quite a bit. So let me kind of summarize some of the, the key things. Um, uh, for OT organizations, I think one of the things that they're going to love the most about this release is the previous solution was really an on-prem solution. So if you're a large manufacturer with multiple sites, um, you're going to have a deployment of MDIoT in each and every one of those environments. And those are environments basically are like little silos uh, from our solution standpoint. What we're doing in this release is we're 
moving, um, not moving, but we're adding a experience in the cloud that'll allow you to aggregate all of that threat data into one place. So if you're an organization that has many sites, rather than having a site, a console for each site, you're now going to have a single console that gives you visibility across everything that you have in your estate. So that's something that large OT organizations uh, or even medium and small ones are, are going to really appreciate. Um, another thing that I, I'm really excited about is when we're talking about operational technology, uh, we're talking about you know a whole set of class, a whole class of devices that most people don't know a lot about. But something uh, that, that's really important about these devices is they use proprietary protocols. Uh, a lot of these uh, do, and it's not like an IT network device, an endpoint, right, where we have the same protocols and it's all the same across everything. These are completely separate protocols. They may have security baked into them. They may not, etc. And so uh, a product like ours needs to have a deep understanding of each and every one of these protocols. And these protocols are not static. They're changing over time. And so um, the challenge that a lot of products have faced in the past is, you know, starting, you know, uh, six months ago, they may have been, uh, a vendor may have been up to date with the latest protocol changes and their product was up to date. But then two weeks later, there's new technology. And then uh, another month later, there's new technology. And so there's always this catch up that vendors have to do. And so um, it's kind of an untenable problem, and some organizations do it better than others, um, but it's, it's still a really, really challenging problem. And so what we've done uh, and w- w- what we're doing in the, in the next version of the product is we have a, a project called, codenamed uh, Project Horizon. And what this is is going to be a community that facilitates the crowdsourcing of the latest day. Uh, latest data, the latest protocol information. And while Microsoft has great relationships with all the device vendors out there, um, um, the community can work with us uh, and help us stay on top of this um, better than than we could do on our own. And so uh, this is going to help us stay up to date with the latest uh, protocol changes as they come out. So Horizon's a great project that will, I think, make our product very uh, differentiated in terms of our ability to keep up with protocol change uh, with these proprietary uh, protocols that are out there in the many devices out there from Schneider Electric, et cetera, and so forth. So that's, that's one thing. The next thing is, of course, is the enterprise IoT uh, story. Uh, we talked about that a bit, but that's going to expand our portfolio and really double the, t- the device type that we can uh, cover. So that's super exciting. Uh, when I talk to IT uh, network owners like a CISO, uh, they have no visibility to the cameras and the printers and the endless other IoT devices that they've deployed in their environment. And so uh, our solution will give them that that visibility and the threat and detection response vulnerability management across that uh, broad set of devices uh, as well. So there's a lot of excitement about the IT uh, stuff there. The last thing that I think is, is worth mentioning is Microsoft Defender for IoT is a little different than other products in the marketplace. Uh, a typical NDR product, a network detection response solution out there, runs as kind of its own isolated solution. And while it's good, very good at what it does, the reality is, is from a, a CISO perspective, from an incident response perspective, uh, that data just rolls into a SIM. Uh, it really requires analysts to spend a lot of time trying to aggregate the threat signals, alerts, and these types of things on IoT devices or OT devices with the broader attacks that they're part of, which very likely maybe started on the IT network and found a way to hop across networks and, and get into the OT environment as an example. Um, so uh, one of the things that we do have done is we've integrated Microsoft Defender for IoT in our XDR solution and our SIM. 
And so what does that mean? It means a couple things. First of all, if you're familiar with e extended detection and response capabilities, what this does is this takes multiple signals from different sources and we're able to add ML and machine learning and, and uh, artificial intelligence on top of this. And uh, we have the potential by looking at multiple signals at once uh, to see attacks that maybe one signal on its own really can't give us insights into. And so let me, let me make it a little more real. So for instance, with network signal that's used with an NDR product like ours, we may get a sense that there's a problem on a specific device, but because we're using machine learning and AI, um, our certainty level may be very, very high, like, hey, it's 100%, we know this is a problem, or it may be lower, it may be 80%. And so we have to make a choice as a vendor um, to surface that 80% certainty event or not. And sometimes we just don't have enough certainty, and so we don't uh, surface that as alert because we don't want to generate false positives. Well, another signal as part of an XDR solution is the endpoint signal that comes from our Microsoft Defender for endpoint. And it's possible that by using the combination of signals on endpoints as well as signals uh, from the network in our MDIT solution that we can take the, that 80% certainty of that NDR signal and we can raise it up closer to 100% uh, and thus maybe surface alerts that maybe we wouldn't have done in the past uh, with a high level certainty with low false positives, et cetera. So uh, the promise of XDR and reasoning over multiple signals um, and integrating that into an XDR solution, uh, I think will give us the potential to detect attacks that vendors in the past would have been very hesitant uh, to, to surface because of the risk of false positives. So, uh, so this is a great new exciting thing. And then finally, um, by bringing this into XDR and hopefully detecting attacks that we previously couldn't, um, we can also uh, combine that with IT and OT network signal. And what does that mean? That means when the attack begins on the IT network with an email and then the, the uh, email is clicked on and the enterprise uh, endpoint, the workstation is compromised and then the attacker moves laterally to maybe a unprotected IoT device. Uh, so they move laterally and then maybe they uh, compromise a uh, vulnerability maybe in, our, in the network infrastructure and then are able to then maybe get into the OT network with an XDR solution and an integrated SIM, we can show you that end-to-end -end picture. Right, right. We're not just going to shove a random alert in a, in a sim and have an analyst spend endless hours or even days trying to create this kill chain in their head. We can actually bring this all together using automation because we we have all these different endpoint types, we have the different signals, and we're able to render that in a in a single view. Uh, and so that's probably I think one of the most exciting features because this is going to result in rapid instant response because the analysts are going to have all the insights and answers pre-cooked for them. They're going to see it visually and they're not going to have to do all that laborious uh, work looking at um, timelines and trying to figure out what happened. Hey, Chris, if I remember correctly, also there are changes happening in other Defender products in order to enable uh, Defender for IoT. If I remember, uh, Defender for Endpoint uh, has the capability of finding uh, OT devices or IoT devices. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the one of the challenges with an NDR solution is you need to tap into the network. And what does that mean? That means I need to take a sensor and I need to plug it into the span port on not just one device, but any device, uh, any network device on my my network. So if I'm a large corporation like Microsoft, there's you know I don't even know how many network devices we have in our organization, but that's a lot of sensors being connected to a lot of routers so that we can really see across all network segments across the entire company. So it takes time to deploy uh, sensors in a way where you can get 
complete visibility. One of the things that's great about a solution like Microsoft Defender for IoT is M- Microsoft Defender for IoT can be a sensor as well. And I, excuse me, I, I misspoke. Um, MDE or Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. Um, that solution is deployed in you know millions, millions, millions of clients. Um, tens of millions of clients have this this product on it, and so we can actually uh, turn that client into a sensor. Um, so that it gives us the ability to detect IoT devices on the network. So the beauty of our solution, something that makes it unique, is I think some of the third-party solutions require that you deploy these network sensors, and it takes a really, really, really long time to get that deployed completely across your environment. Because we've also added a network sensor in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint client, we can leverage it as a network sensor as well. And it can actually uh, detect or discover quite a bit of the IoT devices uh, on the network, or at least the enterprise IoT devices on the network. Now, Microsoft Defender for endpoint clients are generally not deployed in OT environments. So it's not going to give us insights into what's going on in that network. But as far as IT networks go, um, those clients are deployed. And the Microsoft Defender for IoT, or, uh, I can't, can't talk today. Microsoft Defender for Endpoint clients are deployed pervasively across the IT network, and so we have great optics and great visibility into all of the IoT devices, uh, enterprise IoT devices that are on those networks. Now, with that said, the way this solution works is it is a passive solution, and so the only way that we will detect uh, enterprise IoT devices on the IT network is if those devices are chatting um, on the network and they come in contact or they communicate with a you know a defender for endpoint device. If the IoT device was connected only to the internet and never contacted devices on the IT network like an MDE client, then we wouldn't become aware of that. So there's still a case to be made to deploy a network sensor on the IT network. In fact, you should to get complete visibility but the MDE clients out there in, in so many organizations, you know, the tens of millions of clients out there are going to discover a large percentage of, of the IoT devices in the environment. In fact, as I mentioned earlier in our, our public preview, um, we have over, it was, I said 3 million, but actually I was wrong. It was actually 15 million um, devices are part of our public preview. And all of those were discovered um, through this passive communication uh, without a dedicated network sensor. So we have great visibility and we can find a lot of all a lot of the devices, but just not a hundred percent of them. Hey, so Chris, uh, a while ago you mentioned printers uh, as one of the things that is part of OT. Obviously, everyone on the podcast, I'm sure, is familiar with printers and the other things that could be considered OT nowadays. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that, or got any uh, good stories for us? I can maybe mention a couple of things. Printers, oddly, when I talk to uh, like CISOs or, or people who are interested in, in maybe for the first time uh, monitoring and securing their IT infrastructure, printers are almost always the first thing that they ask about. Uh, and so printers are the top priority. Um, and it, it's no wonder a lot of the more advanced printers out there, they have a, a very rich operating system. They, be, they may be running Windows 10 on these devices. So they have a very rich operating system. It's very capable and so that provides a very interesting environment for an attacker to compromise, uh, because in most environments, those devices are not being secured with a solution like Microsoft Defender for IoT. And so they know that if they can compromise that print server device or that printer that's running you know, a big operating system, um, that they have a lot of capability. And they have a lot more capability 
in terms of memory and performance, and et cetera, uh, versus a very small IoT device where they may not be able to put enough code on that device uh, to maybe do the types of things that they wanted to in terms of reconnaissance, et cetera. So, you know, the bigger, the more beefy the IoT device, uh, the more interesting of a target it is, the, the smaller, the, the lower performance, lower memory, the, the, it's still an interesting device, but the, the attacker may feel a little limited in what they can, uh, you know, what type of attack they kind of leash from that IoT device. So anyway, so printers are are, are, are really interesting. Um, printers, of course, are on IT networks, and so it's part of our enterprise IoT story. Uh, they're also deployed pervasively in OT environments as well. And so um, the product that we have today um, is already monitoring what a lot of people typically consider kind of an enterprise IoT device because the reality is, is a lot of enterprise IoT devices are also sitting on the OT networks. And so the product that we already have, uh, which focuses on a OT, uh, also actually provides good coverage for those you know, traditional IoT devices that may be on the OT network. So you mentioned that we have several ways of basically discovering uh, IoT or OT devices. I think this is critical for many uh, customers since uh, for them, uh, their critical infrastructure failure is not an option. So so I, I wanted to make sure uh, the customer understand that there's non-invasive uh, capabilities uh, uh, for collection of information, as well as uh, uh, discovering some other information like vulnerability management. Is there anything else that you want to add uh, about that? Yeah, I think you bring up a, a good point, and it's something that we have to kind of repeat again and again and again. Is is you know I mentioned earlier that maybe fifty percent of our customer base, uh, those who have OT environments, uh, don't have any sort of monitoring solution in there. Uh, there's a long list of reasons for it, but but one of the big reasons is they're afraid of compromising the production of their OT environment. Like if you're a oil and gas company, um, you know you know how big those numbers are in terms of you know production. Um, and it, it, you're talking about millions of dollars a day are at risk if production goes down. And so um, they have an environment that works. They've segmented it away from the rest of the world, they think. And so a lot of them uh, ignore deploying monitoring solutions because they're worried that if that monitoring solution goes into that environment, that it may create just enough network traffic to cause a latency that may impact the quality of the production. So maybe it doesn't stop production, but maybe it, maybe it slows things down. Um, you know, these OT environments are very sensitive. The devices on them oftentimes do not like to see any other network chatter out there. And so you mentioned uh, the concept of passive. There's passive monitoring and there's active monitoring. Active monitoring is where a solution literally goes out there and scans network and is looking uh, for things. And so all the devices, all the OT devices would be being touched in some way uh, through some sort of active scan or uh, whatnot. Uh, in contrast, passive monitoring, which is what Microsoft Defender IoT does has no impact on the devices that are on the network. Um, and the way we achieve passive monitoring is we uh, we tap into the span port of you know a router, for instance. And so the in only impact we have is you know in theory on the router, but of course the router uh, and the span port have been designed specifically uh, to for consumption of that data. And so you're not going to compromise the uh, performance of your routers by by connecting our sensor to it. They were designed specifically to to have that happen. So um, with our passive monitoring. Any customers who are a little nervous about what might happen when you deploy a solution like Microsoft Defender for IoT, um, um, you really don't need to worry about it. I know you need to do due diligence, and you should, 
Uh, but I think when you see our design, you understand the nature of it and how it doesn't actually actively touch any of your devices, um, you'll be, be more confident about what a solution like ours can do for you. One other point I'd like to make that uh, I think is worthy of mentioning is you mentioned discovery and you know getting you know a complete inventory of all the assets. Something that I, I didn't mention earlier when we talked about this was uh, it's not just enough to discover all of the inventory on an OT network. Um, and that's what a lot of vendors like us do. They, they get a complete inventory, but there's a couple of things that we're pretty proud of that we think are very innovative uh, and kind of add differentiation to our solution. Uh, number one is detecting what type of device is on the network um, by connecting to a span port and looking at the data there is pretty challenging, right? You know, to know that that's a Schneider Electric, you know, PCL or whatever, like that's that can be uh, tricky, right? And so a lot of organizations differentiate themselves in terms of the ability to to detect richly the nature of each device, understand its make and model and, and all the things that it, that it is. You know, some products just say, hey, here's a device with an IP address, right? Those who do this their jobs well can tell you what type of device it is. And that's good. And, and so we, we believe with our, our machine learning and AI that we're differentiated in terms of our ability to give you maybe the, some of the richest, most accurate classification of devices um, that are in the marketplace. So we're, we're really proud of the work we're doing there. And that work comes online in June. Now, we're good now, but we're going to be much better in June with the next release. But there's one other thing I think that, that needs to, to happen, and this is very, very few vendors even try this, is it's one thing to get you a list of all the devices on your network. That's wonderful, great, righteous thing to do. But what you really want to do is you want to give analysts context about these devices, not just the name and the make and the model, maybe, you know, what firmware builds on it or whatever. Like those are, those are table stakes in, in my view. What you want to understand is you want to understand the relationships between these devices. When we talk about OT technology, we're talking about large complex systems um, and they form a, a hierarchy of sorts, right? There's, um, and so to be able to understand not only that the devices exist, but to understand the relationships between them, to understand how they communicate with each other, how they should communicate with each other, and thus knowing how they should not be communicating with each other, um, having that extra level of context um, really helps instant response move quickly. So when an attack happens, because if you understand the connectivity between the devices, the relationships between the devices, the purposes of those devices, and an incident responder um, can more quickly stop the attack because rather than looking at a flat list of machines with alerts on them, they'll say, here's the, here's the, the tip of the spear of the attack. Here's the, how the attacker is compromising the entire end-to-end -end system. If we stop the attack here, we can stop the attack elsewhere as well at the same time. And so that's, that type of context is something we're working on really hard uh, with the next release. And I think our customer is going to find that we provide uh, maybe some of the fastest instant response capabilities in the marketplace with our next version. So these are, are a lot of uh, good capabilities, uh, but you also said that a lot of customers are, are not doing anything in the environment. So how are we helping them to prioritize uh, the mitigation and the areas that they should be focusing on? Right. Yeah. I mean, once you once you deploy a solution like Microsoft Defender for IoT and you start performing uh, vulnerability management uh, and you give them a list of weaknesses that they need to address, um, the next question is, uh, how long is that going to take? How many resources do I need to apply to this? And then, of course, it becomes like, okay, what's the most important thing to do first? Because I can't address all of this, um, you know, 
this week or this month or maybe in the next six months or even longer. Some of these these recommendations can take very long planning cycles to to uh, to address the the weaknesses that we're able to identify in the network. And so, being able to provide our customers with a uh, threat prioritized, risk prioritized uh, approach to going through that list is is something that that we do, and other vendors do it as well. Um, something that we do to take it even further, and we don't have a the final name for this this feature that's coming in the next version, but we call it attack vector analysis. So attack vector analysis basically is where we look at the end to end environment, and by assessing it holistically we can come up with, and based on the vulnerabilities and the configuration recommendations we have, we can uh, anticipate where if an attacker was able to compromise, get into the OT network, we can anticipate probably which devices uh, they would identify first um, and exploit first. And so um, we can basically kind of guess, like how, how would they, you know, not get into the network necessarily, but once they're on the network, what devices are weakest? What devices are those devices connected to? And if that next device is compromised, what's the impact on production? And so with this kind of knowledge about the holistic environment, we can um, tell you, you know, which devices require which patches first or which configuration changes first, rather than telling you about, uh, hey, go patch this device that's, you know, tucked away and maybe segmented away from everything and thus the least likely device uh, to be compromised. You know, we, we can direct you towards the things that are most likely to get the attacker the, the control they want and get them uh, to the crown jewels uh, the quickest. Earlier today, I was uh, talking about threat intelligence. Can you talk a little bit how uh, threat intelligence is used uh, in Defender IoT? To, to start with, our, our threat intelligence is based on, on a lot of things. Um, one, it's based on the signal source. Uh, you mentioned earlier that we have trillions of signals coming in a day and uh, not all of those, of course, are related to OT threats or IoT threats. They're, they're related to endpoint threats and anything and everything. Uh, so we have a tremendous signal and arguably the largest signal in the world. And that gives us the potential to gain great insights. Uh, and we have an enormous research team. We have 3,500 researchers, engineers, and other different types of personalities working on security. So we have this amazing force uh, that's taking advantage of this threat intelligence data uh, signal that we get to make sense of it. And of course, we apply uh, machine learning and AI, and we've got great researchers doing amazing innovation there. So, you know, we have this great potential because of the big data. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, this is a big data problem. And so we, we've got the data. We have the the volume of people and the researchers and the types of people to, to make sense of that data. Uh, so that's, that's one aspect of, of threat intelligence. The, ne- the next aspect, of course, is not just detecting threats and these types of things. It's also understanding uh, about the attackers. So we have teams dedicated to uh, tracking threat actors, um, understanding their tactics, etc. And so some of that knowledge is codified into de- detections that make our products you know, generate alerts and, and um enable us to correlate incidents and these types of things. Uh, but it also uh, comes out in other forms. It comes out in written forms uh, that are shared with our customers so that they can understand kind of the nature of the threat actors, understand their their motivations, understand their tactics, et cetera. So this, this, this huge signal base enables our researchers to compile uh, really great profiles that we can share with our, our customers. And so there's that. But one thing I, I want to mention is, a lot of people talk about threat intelligence in the context of this this latter form. And, you know, it's a document that says what threat actors, et cetera, are doing. I think 
the most important part of threat intelligence is what we do when we codify that threat intelligence and turn that into uh, IOCs, IOAs, other types of things that enable us to detect uh, the latest threats. So people need to keep in mind that threat intelligence is two forms. It's, it's, it's information about threat actors, but it's also the codification of that intelligence into de- detections that allow us to uh, uh, detect the latest threats. And so Microsoft has a, a crack team uh, dedicated to IoT and OT threats. Uh, we call them Section 52. And so these are specialists. All they do is think about uh, IoT, OT threats. And so um, we've just got this great team who's giving us uh, many insights. And uh, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're not well known yet because we're in a new space. But the, the, the analysts and the researchers, they came from a really well-known company called CyberX. We, we made an acquisition about a year and a half ago, or maybe it's almost two years ago, CyberX. And so uh, we, we, we're not really new. Microsoft may be new to it, but the people that we acquired as part of the acquisition, they've been working on this problem set for a really, really long time. So Section 52 is an exceptional team producing great results. And uh, I think they'll become well more well-known uh, in the future as our, our customers start to deploy our product and become more familiar with it. Hey, Chris, so... One question we always ask our guests is if you had one thought just to leave our listeners, uh, what would it be? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, let's see, there's so many thoughts I'd like to leave. Here's what I would say. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we think about 50% of the customers who have the potential to use a, a product like Microsoft Defender for IoT um, don't have any solution out there. And they've used you know, network segmentation, et cetera, is a, a way to hide their environment. But as we've seen with Colonial Pipeline and, and there's endless other stories out there, you really can't afford to be unprotected. It's, uh, I think my recommendation for those customers in that category is, is you know, this year has to be the year that you start doing proof of concepts with a product. And we hope it's ours, but you've got to get something because uh, as we talked about with the ransomware events that are now being used to extort money out of companies, you know this is a this is a real problem. It's it's not hypothetical like it was a few years ago. Um, so make make this year the year that you deploy if you haven't deployed. And if you're a company that has a solution uh, out there, we of course want you to continue uh, to look at other solutions out there. We'd love for you to take a, lo- a look at ours. Um, I think there's a sea change in the technology out there. Uh, I think the promise of an NDR solution like ours, when it's integrated with an XDR solution, which does can leverage multiple signals uh, to gain insights that can't be done alone with I, uh, NDR. Uh, when you look at a, uh, a SIM solution that can give you visibility to the uh, end-to-end kill chain, starting with the email breach and ending up with the you know the production getting stopped on OT network, and you see everything in between in one visual way that really helps expedite uh, incident response. Uh, I think that customers, we'd love for you to look at our products, but there are, there are others out there uh, as well that are, are very different than maybe what you've seen a few years ago. There's just tremendous innovation in our space uh, with us and other vendors. And so uh, if you're running a solution that maybe you, you took advantage from three, four years ago, um, there's really new solutions that are breaking through a lot of the barriers that, that they couldn't break through a couple of years ago. Okay, let's bring this to an end. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Chris. My head is kind of spinning, to be honest with you. Um, it's one of those areas where I realize there's a lot that I still need to learn. But uh, again, thank you so much for joining us this week. I really appreciate it. And to all our listeners out there, thank you very much for listening as well. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. 
Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.